Jesus, God. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. While you're turning there, I begin with a story here tonight. Um, Remember, this is a story. If I say the name Billy Graham, we probably all recognize that name. Thank you. Probably all recognize that name as some people call him America's evangelist or... um, a man that has surrendered his life to Christ at a young age, and God has used him in a mighty way for many years. Of course, had his home going a number of years ago and uh, is now in his eternal reward. But there was a story written about him. Again, remember, it's a story, but it says how he was returning to Charlotte after a speaking engagement, and when his plane arrived, there was a limousine there to transport him to his home. As he prepared to get into the limo, he stopped and he spoke to the driver. You know, he said, I'm 87 years old. I've never driven a limousine. Would you mind if I drove for a while? And the driver said, no problem, have at it. And Billy gets into the driver's seat, and they head off down the highway. A short distance away sat a rookie state trooper operating his first speed trap. The long black limo went by him doing 70 in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. The trooper pulled out easily, caught the limo. He got out of his patrol car to begin the procedure, and the young trooper walked up to the driver's door. And when the glass was rolled down, he was surprised to see who was driving. He immediately excused himself. He went back to his car, and he called his supervisor. He told the supervisor, I know we are supposed to enforce the law, but I also know that important people are given certain courtesies. I need to know what I should do because I have stopped a very important person. So the supervisor asked, is it the governor? And the young trooper said, "Uh, no, he is more important than that. The supervisor said, oh, so it's the president. And the young trooper said, no, he is even more important than that. The supervisor finally asked, well, then, who is it? And the young trooper said, I think it's Jesus because he's got Billy Graham for a chauffeur. Oh. (laughs) While there's a bit of humor to that story, it makes a great point. You know, I... I, I, I picture that scene unfolding where, you know, a, lar- a, a long black limo, dark tinted glass, can't see through, and this, you know, young trooper going down the side and a bit apprehensive. I'm sure he's hard just to beaten. And when that, when that window was rolled down and he saw who was in the driver's seat, who was the first person he thought about? It wasn't Billy Graham. The moment he saw Billy Graham, the first person that came to his mind was Jesus. 
You know that you and I have the privilege of being individuals just like that. That when people get in contact with us, they see us, they hear us, they observe us. They witness our life. They think of someone that is greater than us. Is that what people see? Is that what they sense? Is it what they Is it what they feel when they come into our presence? Do they think of someone that is greater than us, the one who is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit? Every one of us has the privilege to be that person. It doesn't take a Billy Graham. It takes an individual. It takes an individual. I'm encouraged with that because every one of us has the privilege. Tonight, advancing my personal worship could give this maybe several titles, but as I went to bed last night, and Lord, what is it going to be tomorrow night? I woke up this morning, what is it going to be tonight? And this is what was coming uh, to me this morning in the morning hours. But advancing my personal worship, those of you who were here last night, we talked about establishing or renewing our prayer closet, Matthew 6, verse 6, and getting into the closet, locking in with Jesus. And this is somewhat of a continuation, but going to the next level in my personal worship. We want to keep revival going. Uh, Tonight, as we look at this scripture, a very key part. And the verse I want to zero in on is verse 51, but this is in the the context here is right as Jesus died, but just a little while before verse 51 where Jesus was hanging there on the cross and he cried out in verse 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that moment where every sin that you and I have ever committed or will ever commit, at that moment Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Somehow he experienced just a moment of separation from the Father. Because he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling that moment of loneliness, that moment of separation from the Father when he was becoming sin, realizing that he was taking our sins upon himself. And then in verse 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. So he dies. And then in verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks did rent. Now this is a moment in history that I hope I never get over. As I was reading today how it got dark in the middle of the day and when all of this was unfolding. And then it was right at that moment when Jesus gave up the ghost, when he died. In the temple, there was the veil that was separating the holy place from the most holy place. And we'll talk a little bit later about the purpose of that veil. But that veil was ripped from the very top all the way to the bottom. All the way to the bottom. Um, in fact, let's just go there. Let's see what I have here next. Yes. Uh, as, as, as we're leading up to this veil, 
separating the holy place from the most holy place. I'm going to use terminology tonight like, like sitting on the porch versus being in the presence of God. The outside versus the inside. There is a lot of religiosity that can happen outside on the porch or outside of the very presence and holiness of God, which I believe is where many of us become very content in just sitting there. Tonight, I believe the Lord wants to take us in, take us in, where we are not content by just sitting on the outside enjoying religious acts. In fact, I came across this not long ago. A dear friend, pastor friend of mine from Eldoret, Kenya, had it posted on social media. He said this, never approach prayer or studying God's word as an obligation to be fulfilled, but you approach it as a privilege to be enjoyed. I believe it's the difference between the outer courts and the inner courts. On the outside, we do uh, Bible reading and praying out of duty. Now, I'm not against discipline. There's not times when I don't always feel like it. I'm not against Christian or spiritual disciplines. But I want my Bible reading and my prayer to be an enjoyment and to be out of my relationship, not out of I have to do it. That's the difference. When I, when I have a relationship with the Almighty, my heart is so tender toward Him that I, I, lo I look forward to reading the Word. I look forward to praying. And that's the difference between being on the outside or on the inside. Oswald Chambers said this, Beware of any work for God that causes or allows you to avoid concentration on Him. A great number of Christian workers worship their work. The only concern a Christian worker should be their concentration on God. God engineers everything wherever He places us. Our one supreme goal should be to pour out our lives in wholehearted devotion to Him in that particular work. Last night I made a comment about my greatest competitor of establishing a prayer closet is preaching. What I do, the good things I do, the godly things we do can become the greatest competitor. But if that's where my focus is, if, if preaching the Word is what motivates me or what, what I look at as my relationship with Him, I've really, I can actually miss Him. On the outside, it becomes a duty. It becomes a works-based religious life. Then we get burned out. We get weary much quicker. But, oh, in the presence of God, we are refreshed. We are rejuvenated, motivated. Every work of God, every good work should always be motivated out of a relationship with Him. On the outside, we focus on the work. On the inside, we focus on Him. One of the reasons I believe that we hesitate to say, Lord, get me off the porch and take me in. It's easy to become a Christian because it costs Jesus everything. It's difficult to become a disciple because it costs us everything. And one of the reasons that I believe we hesitate to just say, Lord, just get me off the porch, is it, it's, it's going to mean a stripping of the self-life. Um, a few years back, we had a church having meetings, a church about this size, 
We didn't really know them. They didn't really know us. We were invited through another place where we were at, and they told that church about what happened and then relatives, and then they invited us. That, that, that's how we got invited. Didn't really know the people. So the first night, children were singing, and I preached, and, and it, it, was, it was just like, I don't know, Perry, it, it was a, like, it was just tough. Just didn't sense a connection. Like, like right, right now, I mean, you, you all are tuned in. I mean, it's, it's like, this, this is great. It wasn't that way. And there was response at the altar. It wasn't like there was no response in that way. I don't gauge success by that. You heard my heart yesterday morning on altar calls. But it was what I was sensing as I was preaching. And the children sensed it as they were singing. Just like a wall. I'd like, well, the first night, it's, hey, they're getting to know us. We're getting to know them. Let it be so and all that. And, well, the next night rolled around. I think we started on a Wednesday night and went through a Sunday night. And the next night, Thursday night rolled around. Same thing. Friday night rolled around. Same thing. And I, I was honestly, I'll be honest with you. I, I went out to the bus. I told the family, I'm done. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and my wife straightened me out pretty quick. Said, honey, that's why we're here. Like, oh, how did I forget? But I repented from that attitude. I, I knew it wasn't right. But I repented from that attitude. And I thought, well, Lord, surely, surely tomorrow night, Saturday night, got to be a breakthrough. Saturday night rolls around, same thing. Sunday morning, all right, Lord, two more services. <laughs> so they had Sunday school before the main service, and I sat in a men's class, about seven or eight men, and the Sunday school teacher opened up the class, and he said, now, before we get into the lesson, I'm just going to open it up. What has God been speaking to you about this week? Of course, I'm sitting there like, good question, brother. I was wondering to say, I didn't say that, but <laughs> I'm sitting there, and just within seconds, a young man, influential man in the congregation, he just pops up and he says, well, let me just be really honest with you all. And then he quit. And I, I got like, I'm sitting there like, I mean, my heart starts beating. I'm like, I'm like, what is he going to say? Did I preach wrong or what, what is, you know, I'm going to be really honest. And he said it kind of sternly almost. And I'm like, man, what is he going to say? Is he going to rake me over the coals for what I was preaching or what? And he said, and he, then he went on to explain. He said, uh, you know, messages like we've been hearing and uh, getting into the presence of God and just, just kind of what we're talking about right now, just, just getting into his presence. He said, I'll be honest with you. That kind of scares me. That's what he said. Broke my heart. Just broke my heart. But it made all the sense in the world. Then I understood what was going on. What's going on? Broke my heart. And I remember driving away from that and I said, Lord, I wonder how many does he represent in the body of Christ? Let's look a little bit at the purpose of this veil. If we would go to Exodus, and you can just look at it on the screen or take notes from it. I'm not going to take time to actually turn there. But here's the verse in Exodus 26, verse 33. 
hang the inner curtain from the class and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it, this curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So this is the purpose of this veil in the temple. So now again, when Jesus died, this veil was opened up and it was ripped apart. Now, if we would go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, this is what was, let's read this. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. Now, think about this for just a minute. On the outside, this is what happens. We, we perform our religious duties. We, be, uh, we perhaps perform our Bible reading. We perhaps perform our praying. We perhaps do all this performance stuff or works-based things. That all happens on the outside. But now, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So there we read. So this curtain was there separating the holy place from the most holy place. Only the priests once a year were allowed to enter the most holy place. They offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that had committed in the, the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. So that was the purpose of this veil. But now, when Jesus died, this veil was ripped from the very top to the bottom, opened up, and now whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Doesn't matter how big we are, how small we are, how white we are, how black we are, how yellow we are, how green we are. It is for everyone to enter in. I understand it from a salvation standpoint. But what about, does it mean anything to us today who've been walking with the Lord for 30 years or 20 years or 40 years or 10 years? It means a whole lot. Spiritually speaking, that veil is still open. Would you agree that it was the power of God that ripped it open? But the power of God could have also come and closed it right back up, but he didn't. It is still open today, and I pray for my own life that I don't become content just sitting on the outside. And what happens on the outside? We can still control things. Hang on to stuff. You know, if you come home from a, I wanted to say a hot day at work, but there's nothing like that around here right now. But anyway, you know what I mean. Let's just say in the summertime. It does get warm here, right? At, it, it does get warm here. Okay. All right. Glad. I'm glad to know that. Yeah. Okay. But let's, let's just say in the middle of July, you get home from work and, man, you're, you're hot and sweaty and you take a shower, you cool off, you sit on the front porch and have this nice Midwest breeze going across the porch. If you're married, your wife brings you a nice cold glass of Lemonade, or actually better yet, Coke Zero. I mean, just hint, hint. Huh? You drink it, and you just stay there. You don't move. You don't go anywhere. What would happen to you? What happened to us? Sooner or later, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to get up. Your, my, your wife might bring me you a refill, but that's not going to happen the rest of our life. 
while it is comfortable and refreshing at times to sit on the porch, if you will, we don't stay there. But we go up and we go for more. We go for the deeper things. On the outside, we live a performance-based life. But on the inside, we live a Holy Spirit-led life. And many of us just become comfortable sitting on the outside. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go there, if you will, tonight. We're going to spend a little time there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to look at what Paul was saying. He says in verse, uh, well, let me pick up. I have verse 12 to 17, but let me pick up in verse 10. This is where he was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to the unbelievers. He's talking to the church. Now I beseech you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. I'm in verse 16, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Point I want to make in this passage tonight, if I could just paraphrase, and Paul, Paul was addressing the church, and he was like, the reason I'm talking to you is here's, here's where some are at. Some of you are saying, you're of me, or I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. What was he getting at? Was he not saying, some of you are following Paul. Some of you are following Cephas. Some of you are following Apollos. You know, we get in trouble when we start following people here on earth. But it's what happens on the outside. It's what religious activities do, mindsets. We start, well, he's my man. No, he's my man. No, you know, I, 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 I've told people this this week. If you are drawn more to me and my family than you are to Christ, we have not done our job. We have not done our job. I don't want anyone to follow me. Because sooner or later, I may do something that you disagree with, or I may make a mistake, and I'm going to let you down. But there is one who will never let us down. On the porch we follow people, but on the inside we follow Christ, the perfect one who makes no mistakes, always trustworthy, will never, 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 ever let us down. While it may look that way, he doesn't. If we question him, it's not his fault. Let's look in here. Jesus is the perfect one. 
never lets anyone down. He's worthy of it all. On the outside, we find, well, uh, I, I don't suppose this happens here, but just in case, uh, see, I know um, um, your, Pat, your lead Pat, Dwight, and then I don't, I don't know how you're structured here for sure. You're, are you one of the elders? No? Who, who? Norman. Normans. Well, uh, that, that's, that's just so I have at least one person here. So, so some of you might say, um, um, well, no, Dwight is my man. No, Norman is my man. No, Eldon is my man. Or no, El whatever. While we may be drawn to different styles and, and maybe enjoy different, we're never to follow these men. That's what Paul was addressing. He's like, like don't follow these men. We're only here to encourage us in the word. And if we're not drawn more to Christ than to the people, then either we've not done our job or you've not done your job. I've preached this to my family. Every time we go into a, 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 like a family conference or, or a, 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 a time of input, it's like, hey, let's never follow this organization or this individual, but it ought to be a stepping stone to get us closer to him. On the outside, we're like, he's my man. i got to go listen to him. Um, a few years ago, if I would say the name, we'd probably all recognize, but I, I won't say it publicly. But there was a founder of a large organization that made some mistakes, was accused, and I'm not here to say what was false and what was true. That's not the point here. Ends up where a lot of things happened he was not part of the organization anymore. And it was an organization that our family has gotten a lot of principles, learned a lot of things from that organization, from God through that organization. Impacted our life. Through that process, dear friends of ours would come to us and like, we're just, their life was just, like it sounded like it was falling apart. What are we going to do? And Ruth Ann and I were like, why, are, why is their life falling apart? Because somebody made a mistake. And I came to this conclusion. They were following the man instead of this. Our foundation wasn't shaken. We were saddened that it happened, but our foundation wasn't shaken. Because our trust and the principles we learned were not from, it was from this. So this foundation is solid. And, and so our, what we learned from that, the, it doesn't change the biblical principles because this is solid, this is true, this is trustworthy. But that's the difference between if we would have been sitting on the porch and just performing religious acts, our life would have become just disillusioned because, oh, that man made a mistake. Wow, what are we going to do? No. On the inside, we worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the perfect and holy one. And we are not satisfied anything outside of that. The invitation in a moment tonight is, Lord, get me off the porch and take me in. Sometimes I need just a little bit of a, <clears throat> get off that porch. Get off that porch. Comes comfortable. 
still control things. Am I on the porch? Or where am I? Oswald Chambers said, you can always tell when someone has been beholding the glory of the Lord because your inner spirit senses that he mirrors the Lord's own character. Beware of anything that would spot or tarnish that mirror. It is almost always something good that will stain it. Something good, but not what is best. It is never God's will that we should be anything less than absolutely complete in Him. How many of you enjoy eating popcorn? Last night I asked about Sunday night popcorn, but let me just go. How many of you enjoy eating popcorn? Okay. So we all enjoy eating popcorn, or most of us, and the ones that didn't raise their hand probably still enjoy it. Did you ever think about how popcorn pops? Hot oil, that's part of it, yeah. I want us to think about this for a moment. How does popcorn pop? You have this little hard kernel, shell, small, hard. What's on the inside of that kernel? Moisture? This is not a cooking class. We're actually headed somewhere with this. Moisture on the inside of this little hard kernel. Now, there are several ways to make popcorn. One is what I call more the old style that I grew up as a little Amish boy. I remember, you know, my parents, they'd have this one that it's like a kettle type thing and a little knob on top and you'd turn it, you know, then you'd shake it, and then all of a sudden it would start popping, and it would push the lid up, and then you'd dump some in and put it back. Anybody remember those? Okay, a few. And then, then you have a uh, you, you microwave option. I mean, it's an option. <laughs> Somebody's back there saying no, not. But then my favorite way to do it is the stir-crazy. It's about the it's about the easiest way to make popcorn. I mean, you just plug that thing in, and you just put the oil in there, and that little thing goes around, and that heating and element heats up, and you take a cup of that hard thing, and you dump it in there when that oil gets hot, and that thing goes round and round and round and round, and all of a sudden, pop, 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 pop all over the place. How does it happen? So this heating element heats up. We'll just use the stir crazy for the sake of not confusing how we're popping popcorn here. But you plug it in. Pour the oil in. The heating element heats up. The wire goes around. When that oil gets hot, you dump it in. That thing goes around and around and around. Moisture on the inside of these kernels. And all of a sudden, this heat starts penetrating the shell. And it starts heating up from the inside out. And when it gets hot enough, this moisture turns into vapor. And when it turns into vapor, there is so much pressure that is coming from the inside out that that hard shell cannot contain the pressure 
anymore. Why is that? It is when this popcorn, this hard shell popcorn, is poured into an environment that is very hot. And it ends up being heated up from the inside out to the point where there is so much pressure that it will break the outer shell. And when the pressure comes from the inside out because of the environment that it's in, it will break the outer shell and it will go pop. And it is more than it was before. The point is this. On the outside, on the porch, we live from the outside in, which is religion. But in the presence of God, we are in an environment that is so hot by the Spirit of God that we live from the inside out. And the pressure and the power of the Holy Spirit will break the outer shell and the anointing will flow because we are living from the inside out. Paul said that I might be renewed inside out. Think about it tonight. Which way is it? Am I living from the outside in? Did you ever try to eat on pop popcorn? It's not very good. In fact, it hurts. One day as I was thinking about this, I was like, I just, I, I, I saw a whole crowd of people. And I was like, Lord, what is that? I don't remember, I don't know where it was. It was just a whole crowd of people. And I was thinking of this popcorn and us getting into the presence of God and behind the veil. But then I saw this whole crowd of people on the outside and just all sitting. And it was like unpop Christians. Hmm, that's interesting. What does that mean? Then I pictured going from the porch in. And I looked out and I just, I, I saw all these people just pop, 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 all over the audience. People just popping up. I'm like, popcorn Christianity, Perry. Yes! And the picture the Lord gave me that day is, get off the porch, get in the presence of God and pop me. I was like, Lord, I don't want to only go in there and pop me, but help me to stay pop because I don't want to sit on the outside just becoming comfortable where I can control my life. But Lord, take me in where I live from the inside out. Affects everything. Relationships. Conflict. You ever in conflict with somebody and they were on the outside. <laughs> sure you weren't, but they were. How does it go? How does it go? Many years ago, as we were first starting this, what we're doing, the mission board, the church we were attending, the mission board was behind us, the leadership was behind us. We were excited, sensed the call. One morning in my prayer closet, sensed the Lord asking me to go to the leadership and say, ask them if they would consider voting. I don't want only their blessing, but the entire congregation. 
for what we're going into. But I trust their authority. If they think it's best not to, I'm okay with that. I went to them and they were like, yeah, good idea. Glad you brought it up. We'll do it. They somehow brought it to the congregation. I don't know how they did it because I wasn't part of the voting, obviously. But they took a voice of the church. If they would bless or support us moving into this ministry. They got back to me and they said, very encouraging. Large congregation at that time still is. It was very encouraging. Everyone but three people gave their full support. I'm like, man, great. It's wonderful. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. So we kept making plans, and I know within a couple days, again in my prayer closet, I was just praying, and the Lord spoke to me about those three people. I didn't know who they were, but he spoke to me about the three people. Like, what about them, Lord? They got outvoted. It's just the way it is. It's the way we do things. I don't know how you work through some of those things, but I always like, Lord, if you don't want me to do anything with it, then just remove it from me. But if you want me to do something with it, just keep bringing it back. Well, he did. Just every morning, every day, just kept bringing, who are the three brothers? You should talk to them. So I went back, finally went back to the leadership. I said, now, again, I trust your authority. I trust you. You don't have to tell me if you feel it's best for me not to know but I trust you, would you consider giving these names that I could talk to them? And they were like, oh, absolutely. I would encourage, we, they would encourage me to. I said, great. They gave me the names. I called the one brother, and we met for supper at a restaurant just across the table from each other, and I said, brother, you know I love you, appreciate you. Um, understand you have some concerns. What would... I would, I'm just here, I'm an open book. I have no, nothing to hide. Share with me what's on your heart. He said, well, it's not that major. He said, you know, you hear of these evangelists. Of course, that was back in the late 90s, and so I was, I was still, uh, you know, young and, and had, um, uh, you know, young, young family, young children, and um, he said, you know, these evangelists, you hear of them, and they're out there preaching, and you know, and they neglect their family, and, and their family gets lost on the wayside and all of that. I just want to warn you, don't let that happen. And I remember looking at him and like, man, brother, I appreciate that. I need that. Thank you for sharing with me. I said, is there anything else? And he said, um, not major, but just he had some other concerns about overall stuff, not just about me. And then after he was done, I said, I so appreciate your heart, so appreciate you sharing with me. Um, in spite of what you shared, would you consider giving your blessing for what we're about to go into? Oh, absolutely. I'm 100% behind you. And I was like, I walked away from there. I'm like, Wow, that wasn't so bad. I had two more to go, though. <laughs> so the next one, 
One Sunday after church, I walked up to him and my heart was a thumping and I said, brother, I understand you have some concerns about what we're getting into and my life is an open book. Would you just care to share with me? And for about the next 30 minutes, it was not a good experience. I got saved in 91. This was in the late 90s, seven, eight years later. And I had never had a Christian talk to me like that. It was one of those up one side and down the other. And I mean, it hurt. It hurt deep. But God gave me the grace. God gave me the grace to just, as he was sharing, man, I thought of many things I wanted to tell him about his life. But God gave me grace. And I was able to thank him for sharing with me. And I took the things he said before the Lord. I said, Lord, if any of this is true, I repent. If not, just give me the grace to forgive. It's painful. But Jesus, it was also painful for you to forgive me and understand that to a certain extent. And I understand it better now, even though it was not even close to what Jesus took. Not even close. But I remember praying. I was telling my wife on the way home. I said, I will forgive. And then I was asking God to put his love in my heart for that man. And he did. Every time I would see him, I could, I could just go up to him and just give him a good old Jesus hug. I mean, it was not, it was not that stiff arm thing. How you doing, brother? Like, good to see you, man. It was, it was a good old, you know, Jesus hug. And it came from the heart. It was not put on because God put it there. One more to go. A week or two later, I went to another brother. And these are people I go to church with now. This is not some outside guy here. And I walked up to him, and I opened my life again, up one side and down the other, just, and with a very critical attitude, just hurt. All that pain was re-stirred in my heart again. The Lord gave me grace. Forgive. Come before the Lord, look at it. I repent of this and this. And then put that love in my heart for him. And he did. And then a few weeks later, and I, would, I wouldn't always talk to them at church, but every chance I got, I would go to them. I would just encourage them, just speak life into them. A few weeks later, the third brother. After church, I'm standing out in the foyer, and I saw him coming toward me this time. I wasn't going to him. He was coming toward me. Can I be honest enough to tell you? I was like, no, not, not quite like that, but that's what I felt. I was already bracing myself for what was to come. He shook my hand, and he just stood in front of me, and he looked me right in the eyes. And that morning... I had shared something. I think I was on the mission board at the time or something and gave a, gave a talk that morning, an update on missionaries or whatever that we had out. And 
And he come up to me, and he starts speaking life into me. He starts blessing me. And he said, you know, God has so gifted you in speaking. And, and, and I mean, he just, I mean, my, my feet about it, I, I just, I mean, I, this is how many years ago, and I, I get goosebumps, glory bumps just telling you this, because it was real. This man was speaking life into me, words of affirmation, and how God has gifted me, and he's just speaking it into me. And as he, and, and as, as he was finished speaking, he, then he said, and I also want you to know that I am 100% behind you in where God has called you. We felt at peace about moving ahead, and then we were first, we were licensed, and then later ordained. The night of our licensing, never forget it. I hadn't asked the second brother where he's at with it, because I felt peace about moving forward. But when he came through the line, I don't know how you all do it in your settings, but back then we, you know, we had, we were standing up front, and, and people would come through and encourage us, and like that, well, here he comes. And I will never forget this. He was a little bit shorter than I am. He stood right in front of me and just looked at me right in the face. And he said, I want you to know I am 100% behind you. I wept, cried. The reason I'm telling you that is this. If I would have been living on the porch... those relationships would have not ended up that way. Because I could have told them a thing or two about their life. But I would much rather get in the presence of God and let Him deal with my heart and let Him deal with them. Because He does much better than I ever could. On the porch, I would have wanted to get even with them. Well, maybe some of the things you said are okay, but this is about you. No. See, on the porch, we compare ourselves among ourselves. In the presence of God, we compare ourselves to the holiness of God. And we cry, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Like Isaiah. I thank God to this day. One of these men has passed on into eternity now, but the other two are still living. Every time I see him, without any hesitation or reservation, Jesus hug. You're not going to forget this night, are you, Lynn? Think about it. On the porch, we want to get even. But in the presence of God, we compare life with him. And we fall on our knees before him and cry, holy, holy, holy. Because inside, we're living from the inside out. On the outside, we're living from the outside in. The invitation in just a minute. Lord, would you take me off the porch and take me in? Advancing my personal Worship. That's where I worship. In His presence. Can we stand together? Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bow in your presence tonight. We thank you. Thank you. And right now, I just just sense the sweetness of your spirit, just just ministering to our hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight as we. Just allow you to look into our own heart like any other night. Maybe there's ways or circumstances that I'm just sitting out on the porch and I'm just content there. Just content there. Maybe I can control this or control that or maybe this is happening and that is happening. But Lord, tonight without any strings attached, I don't want to remain on the porch But Lord, would you take me in? Because that veil is open. It's open. I know it may cost my life. But Lord, tonight I want to say, take me in and pop me. And keep me popped. I don't want to stay on the outside anymore. And there, Jesus, you put all the pieces together. You bring healing to the hurting. You bring salvation to the unsaved. You you bring courage to the discouraged. You bring help to the helpless. On the outside, we try to find it in other ways. But on the inside, we find it from you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So help us, O God, to not remain on the porch. And so if you're here tonight, you sense the gentleness of the drawing of the Holy Spirit, and He's just asking you, only if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, He's asking you to say, you're just here to say, Lord, take me in. Take me in, if we're not in. 